Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy. Here we discuss all things architecture and design, to travel, exploring Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, and I connect with other like-minded women to share their story. I am your host, Katerina Burianova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. I am joined today by Shadia Haramilio, licensed architect, AIA Florida Associate Director at Large, co-chair of the AIA FLNW, which helps develop and promote women leaders within architecture. She most recently was also awarded Associate of the Year by AIA Florida. Shadia is an advocate for creating mentorship and support opportunities for those studying for the ARE exams and is an AI enthusiast. Welcome to From the Honeycomb Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Katarina. Thank you. And as you know, we begin every episode by sharing something that we are grateful for in the present moment. So what are you grateful for? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> There's so many things to be grateful. I mean, first of all, health mm-hmm. and also for opportunities, especially the opportunity to be here today. I'm grateful for my family and I'm grateful for everybody around me that supports me and empowers me to be better every day. Love that. Love, love, love that. <laughs> Well, so share with us, I know your story, first off, congratulations on all, all your awards. When I was looking up for to kind of write about your bio, you are a very diverse, lots of award, just hands down, you have accomplished a lot. And I know you most recently got your license. Yes. So. Ooh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> but share with us kind of your journey of architecture and where it started. Mm, I love this story, actually, not because it's about me, but it's It's so like intertwined and crazy. So I'm originally from Panama, born and raised. I moved to the United States in 2013 for school, really. But I actually went to architecture school in Panama for two years. And this is a crazy story. But back then I had like an Instagram account called Archaeotics, which still exists. It's just like inactive right now. And I used to share work like from architecture students all over the world, like what they were doing. I was like fascinated to see like what other things were architecture students doing out there. I was like really inspired by it and I wanted to do that. And I always wanted to study abroad. So I was like telling a professor of mine about it. Like, I just want to study abroad. And a friend, a classmate of mine actually overheard our conversation. She was like, well, if you want to study abroad, why don't you like apply for this scholarship? that the government was offering. You can go and study anywhere in the world you want, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've never heard of this. And so I did. And I got the scholarship. And that's when I moved to the United States. And I started my architecture career all over again. So I actually went to architecture school for seven years instead of five, which is a typical professional degree. And I went to the University of Arkansas. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was there for five years. I loved school there. And I don't know, there's like a lot of things about architecture school that are a little bit toxic yes. <laughs> when it comes to the culture. But I think I found balance in being a resident assistant. That's when kind of like my volunteering journey started. So yeah, I became an RA. And the reason I became an RA was because I needed the balance one. And really, those were the first people that welcomed me to this new environment of being a new college student, moving to an entire new country, English being my second language, 
so many things. And that had a true impact in my architecture career, being able to do something outside of architecture that allowed me to develop like all of my leadership skills and, you know, being a volunteer and advocating for others and all of these things that being a resident assistant really helps you develop. It was like having full, not full-time job, but a part-time job also going to school and just balancing that and which directly translates like post architecture school balancing like life and architecture and all the volunteer stuff that you want to do and the things you're passionate about so I don't know (laughs) that's kind of like my architecture journey and then I graduated and I started finding looking for jobs and I moved to Pensacola which is where I currently live Florida and I felt a little bit like lost at the beginning because Everything was new. I've only had one internship and it was in Panama. It wasn't here in the United States. So the way we practice here is it's very different from the way people practice in other parts of the world. And that's the moment where I was like, I need to join something. And I found AIA, which I kind of knew about because my bosses at the time were part of it. So, yeah. And now I'm volunteering and very active and trying to advocate for others and giving back because when I first joined, people were helping me. So now it's my turn to help the new incoming potential architects. (laughs) No, I, I love hearing your story. And starting out as an RA, you also learn to manage relationships and personalities, which I think is something people in architecture don't realize is it's not just doing construction details, but you're managing the client, the contractor, the consultants, like it takes a lot to be able to work on those relationships and work with people. So I know that must have been kind of great training ahead of coming into the profession. Definitely. That's one of the key things of architecture. And I almost wish that we had some kind of psychology classes as a requirement in architecture school, because that would have been extremely helpful, like dealing with all types of personalities and moods. (laughs) I mean, so many things responding to unexpected situations, which truly has been the hardest thing for me in this field, Mm -hmm. responding to situations that you don't expect and the way people might talk to you or, you know, saying appropriate things, like all of those things. How do you respond to that as a female in this field? Absolutely. And that's something I always want to touch base on in on the podcast is the experience as a female and what that's like in architecture, because there's so many different experiences. And so what has yours been as far as, you know, in your firm, because I know most of my experience has been mostly male dominated firms to also working on the construction site, which is you're always the only female unless it's the client or the interior designer. Yes. Okay. So my experience working at the job site at the beginning, it was difficult because I mean, and this doesn't happen everywhere. I mean, you can, people tend to be no filter in those kind of settings. I feel like. They're very blunt. They will say their opinion. Sometimes it might be because of the camaraderie that exists within that field. And you might be taken, I don't know, like off guard, I guess. But I've had situations where I've been, I mean, you know, the typical assumption of a female in this field is that you're the interior designer. And while that's not offensive, being an interior designer, that's an amazing career, but that's not what I am. I'm an architect. And so I feel sometimes like, well, why do you automatically assume that I'm an interior designer when I've, you know, gone through all of these experience and all of this knowledge that I've acquired, the test, all of that to be this person. And 
now I've learned that I just have to say, no, I'm the architect and, you know, this is who I am. But back when I just first started in this field, I, I just didn't know how to respond to those things. I would laugh. I will say that I've had very inappropriate things happen to me in job sites. And again, at the beginning, I just had no idea how to respond. And I feel like sometimes you're in a weird position where you don't, it, it might be the owner of the project. You don't know. You don't want to make the situation uncomfortable or ruin the relationship with like the firm you're in with the contractor or the client or whoever. But I do think that in, in that specific moment, like whoever's with you on the side or even offside, if it's your boss and you tell them, hey, this is what happened to me, you would hope that they would stand for you. Absolutely. For you and say, hey, we don't allow like this type of situations to happen to our employees. Like this shouldn't repeat again, blah, 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 blah. Like take some kind of action because that not only allows it not to happen again, it also shows the employee that they're valued and they're cared for and that they're respected, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just feel like we need to do more of that and less of the laughing part and allowing those things to happen because really it's not about being sensitive. It's just about being cognizant Mm -hmm. and understanding the skills that everybody has to the table and understanding that we are professionals. First and foremost, we're professionals. This is a professional setting. Absolutely. And the respect too, because like you said, it's a profession. This is, and you went through how many years of school, the exam process, that's a lot. And so to be held at a higher regard, absolutely. And I think it is warranted. And there are those, I have had some experiences as well as, you know, bosses not standing up for me in front of clients, because there's, there's also a situation, a client just yelled at your, your employee, but you need to keep this client happy, but they just, it's like, it's a, I mean, that's an interesting balance. And so I'm sorry you had to go through that experience and it's definitely challenging, but I'm sure you now know you've learned from it, you know, in others. Definitely. And I think like, it is very difficult coming out of school because you just don't know better. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what the normalcy is. And then being at a workplace that doesn't support you in that sense, I just feel like run. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's that's just no, other way. there's just no no other way you should this is something that should be talked about more definitely especially in school just like how to advocate for your own self how to stand up for yourself and yeah absolutely and I think too like you mentioned you know now you can say I'm an architect when you're fresh out of school there's that well, I'm not licensed. I'm not an architect, but what am I? And, you know, I I have gone through five years of school plus maybe some internships. I have the experience. So it's definitely, it's like, well, what do I call myself and that authority to have as well? And then as you're studying through the exams, you see how, you know, the architect is at the top kind of, the, you know, there's the client, of course, but we we run the show. Yeah, I agree. It is very hard to explain when you're not licensed what you are, because really, I mean, we're the only ones that understand all these terminologies, <laughs> but um, people that are in a, in a job site or outside of our field will not really know, oh, I'm not an architect yet because I have the test left or I have hours left and all that. And how do you explain? I mean, sometimes I think most of the times, like my bosses are just like, when I wasn't licensed, she's an architect because yeah. like, how are you going to explain that? Nobody, and it's just going to take time. But yeah, for us, we're not supposed to mm-hmm. uh, say that you're not an architect if you 
that you are an architect if you're not. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that before I started studying for the exams and I put architect under my LinkedIn and my coworker saw it and he's like, <laughs> hey, you're not Life supposed favorite. to do <laughs> He's like, you're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, but I mean, kind of, aren't I? And he's like, okay, you're going to start, start studying for the exam soon. He's like, you cannot use that word. And so it's definitely, it's, it's the vocabulary. And I know NCARB is working to try and change, you know, what we can call ourselves. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah, with, my family knew I was an architect since I graduated. I'll say that. They, <laughs> I mean, in Panama, that was something else that was like a total shock to me because in Panama, you graduate and you're an architect. And the school that I went to, it was structural architecture. So you're an architect automatically. There are no tests. I'm sure there's a process to get your license and all that, but there are no tests per se. Like we have here six tests and the hours and all that stuff. And yeah, I think I wasn't like completely aware of what would happen post-graduation about the test. That's another thing that I would like to like communicate more mm -hmm. because I even... I think I just got lucky that I went to the University of Arkansas, like Faye Jones School of Architecture, that it was an accredited school because I also had no idea, like as I, as I applied, I had no idea that, you know, if you get a accredited degree that's a five-year, you can go and straight take the test and all that. Now they have IPAL, of course. Or if you do the four years, you have to do a master's. Like I had no idea, no idea. Yeah. So same to, Yeah. Same. Had no idea. I ended up going to Illinois Tech in Chicago and it was between there and Boulder. And Boulder, I don't know if I remember that Boulder was a four plus two and that Illinois Tech was five. And somehow in that process, I heard about that. And I'm like, well, I'd rather do five years than six years. But I didn't know about the accreditation and how that actually then will change what happens after you get out of school. So there is definitely a sense of, and I kind of want to use this podcast too, is, you know, I do talk about all sorts of things, but also letting people know the process that architects have to go through, the studying. I'm just very vocal about my study experience going through the exams because it's a lot. I think the public, and I was just actually talking to a friend about this, is so now that I've gone off on my own and I have my own company, we were talking about what, how do you figure out a rate, like a billing rate? How do you know like where you are now? Because you're the principal of your firm, but you're also the drafts person, the office manager, everything under one umbrella, everything. And then we started talking about, well, I've started to notice I've lost a job or two to drafters, people who just draft and submit drawings that don't really need my life. You don't need a stamp license because it's a small little project. And when you're competing with drafters, you know, it's the clients and the public that don't understand the value the architect gives. And that's why they're going to be, you know, more than a drafter, drafts person, which, you know, drafts person, they do the work they do, but we hold a whole nother level of knowledge of expertise. That's why we're worth more. And it's educating the public on that, that you should hire the architect because you're going to get more at the end because of all the knowledge, the expertise, like the one drafter I talked to, he didn't know to do a zoning analysis. I'm like, well, how do you know if you can even build this project and things yeah. like that? Yeah, I think really that's the hardest battle in this profession. The very hardest for everything, even for the technology that's coming in. That's just the hardest thing that we're going to have to face. What is our true value? How do we communicate that to the public that knows nothing about architecture and architects? Because the average person that has no knowledge within the field of architecture just thinks that we're painting and drawing all day long. Yeah. You know, they have no clue. And I'm not trying to be like 
insulting or, or anything, but just like, I don't know much about the medical field, you know, mm-hmm. there's people that just don't know what architects truly do. And that's another thing that like the translation between academia and the profession, there's like a huge disconnect because coming from architecture where it's like la la land, you can design anything you want. You have no budget. I mean, they might give you a budget in the program, but are you actually thinking about that? No, you're just thinking about coming up with the coolest design, the coolest floor plan and creating amazing visuals. And that's really not what architecture is about. And it's like really sad that as much as that is fun, And it's a great experience to explore ideas and your potential. And like, I I think there is value in that incredible value. But I think the issue is the deceiving part about what architecture truly is. And I was at TA in school. So all of my students that have graduated, joined the profession, some of them, like they text me and they're like, Shadia, I just, I'm not happy. I'm burnt out. I didn't think it was going to be like this, depending on which firm you go to, like you might be pigeonholed to details and things that you might not want to do. And again, advocacy comes into place. Why it's so important. It's like a full circle of things that you need to develop even before becoming a professional. That is so important. No, absolutely. No, it is true. And it's learning about that in school because there is, there's definitely, and I think in some ways it's hard for schools to teach what comes after because we all go into completely different avenues of commercial, small, residential, huge firms, global firms, industrial firms. There's just so much to do. So there is definitely, it's, it's school is a stepping stone to our, but it's not the, it's not the full transition. Yeah, that's why I'm, I honestly regret not getting more internships when I was in school. Like if I were to go back in time, number one, I would not pull that many all nighters. <laughs> I would actually take care of myself. And number two, I would really do more internships because you can like test drive different things, project typologies, types of firms. I mean, so many things that, that you can do. Kind of like what Marco was saying in the past episode, like all of the things that you should consider when you're in school. So yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to kind of segue into because you brought up the technologies coming up. And one of the reasons I reached out to you was because of AI. So artificial intelligence is coming out and I saw it more on Instagram. That's kind of where I was first seeing it. And then now, you know, I went to the AIA conference in San Francisco and. Oh, my God, I missed you. I know. I, yeah, I was there for a day just with a friend's firm. It was So I think I heard a little bit about it there. And then that week, I also went to a conference in LA for like women in architecture. And there it was heavily brought up about what is the future of AI. And so as I've been following you, I, and I think I was looking at your profile and I saw you have some AI enthusiasm. So I was wondering to talk to you about AI in the field of architecture. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say I'm definitely not an expert, just a disclaimer. <laughs> this is all personal opinion. And then the fact that like my fiance is an AI expert. So we have conversations and I've gotten to learn a little bit about AI and the implications that it has on really like human life. Mm-hmm. For architecture, like that was the very first thing I asked him. I was like, do you think we'll ever be replaced? And he thinks like in the near future, no, mm-hmm. but potentially, yes. We will be because there are so many things that AI brings to the table that when it comes to efficiency, when it comes to affordability, when it comes to, 
I mean, time, time is money. And so I think that all of the AI software that we're seeing right now, like Dali and Midjourney, ChatGPT, all that stuff, it's basically producing like the pretty images based on the prompts. But the part that's missing really is that iterative process that we go through as architects and all of the things that we can relate as human beings that the machine right now can't. And then, I mean, more things that the client relationship, how can you replace that? And the thing that the biggest question that I have is really like liability. Oh, yeah. Who is really going to be liable if in the future, because right now, like I said, AI is producing pretty photos and it's probably a great tool for schematic design when you're trying to do like really fast iterations and options for materiality or different floor plans or whatever it is, like maybe urban planning. There are some great tools out there for that. But what happens when you have to move from that into the true production of construction documents? Like. We don't have something like that out there yet. I'm sure people are working on something like that because I've actually just saw a software that has a big bank of library like details, construction details, and it's like a plugin for Revit. But until we get there, I feel like there's like a gap. Mm-hmm. There's a gap. And ultimately, I think our biggest issue for the profession is the fact that we've always been end users and we continue to be. Like there's not, I don't think anyone in our profession is an AI expert. I mean, to be an AI expert that requires years of experience, that requires incredible knowledge about statistics and mathematics and like programming and data science, like, and that's what my fiance did. He did software engineering, data science, and now he's doing AI and he's focusing on neural networks and big brain computer interactions. So, I mean, truly at this point, I think that we as architects are not, we're not going to catch up to being in that level of expertise. So we are disciplined that's very collaborative. So why don't we bring those types of people that are truly experts so that they can help us evaluate our profession and say, okay, we are going to have to focus on X, Y, Z to be able to catch up, to be able to really, truly get to the value of what we as architects bring to the table because right now throughout history i mean before they were doing i don't know like 20 30 years ago they were doing everything in by hand yeah. i guess <laughs> maybe more i don't know i don't know what the timeline is but then whenever that moment happened when cad appeared and revit appeared there's a lot of people that refused right mm-hmm. to jump into that technology bandwagon and probably those people are not practicing anymore You can't just pretend that, oh, this technology is going to take over and we're doomed. And you can't have that perspective because at the end of the day, the world is going to keep on moving forward and you either jump on or stay at the bottom of the ladder. And honestly, like we should be proud of humanity that we're actually advancing that much. And yes, there are some ethical and moral implications. And I do think that it will have to be regulated because as much as AI and all these new technologies can do positive, can have a positive impact in our world. It can also have an incredible negative impact. And we need to be very careful about that. And as architects, I mean, our main concern is health, safety, and welfare. So what are we doing 
what's our seat at the table to ensure that even if AI becomes the, I don't know, majority ruling into our profession or whatever, like, what are we doing to protect that, to protect humanity? What are we doing to do that? There's just so much. Like, I could talk about all of this for hours because <laughs> we need to be concerned about it. We need to start educating ourselves. And I mean, I like to test try all of these new software, but at the end of the day, like, there's just more than just the pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see AI becoming a tool to create affordable architecture because, I mean, the average person can't afford an architect, and that's the, the sad part. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford an architect and I'm an architect. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. I would like to see AI become an incredible tool that helps us use architecture, like make architecture for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right now we're doing architecture for the people that can actually afford it. And what about the rest? Mm-hmm. That's so true. I could not afford myself. Which no. is crazy to say. Like I can't even at I would I would probably be hiring a drafts person too. Like that's and that's where that comes back to that conversation. Yeah. And so I like your perspective about I just I was listening I was just in awe of listening to AI. And I love that you're thinking about it in a way of it's not replacing us. It's just let's now it's let's bring that to the table. Cause you're so right. Architecture is so collaborative. We're con- I mean, we're working on a team. It goes back to even your earlier experiences. Again, RA managing groups, different people. So AI just gets a new seat at the table. They don't get the whole table and they're definitely not at the head of the table for a long time, but Mm -hmm. let's bring someone in. And I'm sure, you know, the larger companies who do have the resources, it's almost like having, you have your code expert, you have your specs. So now you'll have your AI. I'm sure there are companies that are doing that right now. I'm I'm sure. But like I said, I think that our biggest concern is one, what's our value? And then two, we need a seat at the table and we can't be end users anymore. We are at the end user line. We've, I mean, our field is monopolized in a way, if you really think about it. Without Revit, I don't know what we would do. I mean, that's the main software that everybody that practices architecture uses. We haven't really, I don't know if we have thought about this, but we really need to mm-hmm. because right now we're slaves to Revit and Autodesk and all that. And the software is amazing, of course. The, the possibilities are endless, but we had not so long ago something happened and like there was a shutdown for a couple of hours. I don't know if you remember this or not, mm-hmm. but we can do anything. And then it, it's back to paper and, and pencil. No. So we need to have a seat at the table. We need to talk to AI experts. We need to start evaluating our profession and seeing what we can do with the new technologies and I mean new technologies are there to help us to help to aid humans to do a better job at whatever they do efficiency is time and time is money yep simple formula it's Mm -hmm. a simple formula for sure and it is true and and like we talked before this episode I started to look into chat gbt and it's it's easy to get used to it very easy. And full disclosure, I really have a hard time coming up with what the podcast episodes are about. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what if I use ChatGBT to help me? So the last two, three episodes, my little about podcast, full disclosure, I'll be totally transparent and honest. 
I went into ChatGBT. I was like, here's what the episode is about. Can you put something to get like put together, whatever the description. Now I don't copy paste it. I will say that because I don't, I still want it to kind of sound like me and some of the wordage I use. But what took me 30 minutes now takes me five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now that you point that out, the part where you said, I want it to sound like me. I think that the key thing that AI is never going to be able to do or a hundred percent do because nothing in this life is a hundred percent. So personalization, ultimately that is, I think where we're going to end up. Our field is going to be a personalized, focused, unique trade because right now everybody's excited about AI, 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 but in 10, 20, 30 years, people are going to be so used to AI that they're going to want that uniqueness that AI is not going to give to them, mm-hmm. that we are going to give to them. All of the arts are going to give to them, that personalized, just like when you go to a store and you want to buy something handmade, that's going to be the architect. That's my personal opinion. We are the unique part. We as architects, each individual architect, it's its own unique self. So. No one can replicate that. <laughs> <laughs> they cannot. No, they cannot. And there's that uniqueness in that personal. And you brought up another point, which about AI that I didn't think about is client relationship. And the biggest thing, which I had never even thought about, liability. Because we're like mini lawyers. Like I know my contract in and out. And I can, I mean, like it's, and putting it together, I did use, so I use AIA contracts to get like a draft going. And then now I've started to kind of make it into something that fits more of the projects that I work on. But the liability aspect as an architect, the insurances you need. So you brought up a great point is, okay, so AI is going to design your building in a future and something happens. There's a death. Usually that's the thing that changes codes. Who's the owner going to sue? Not going to sue AI. <laughs> And that actually, now that you're saying that, it goes back to the unmentioned rule or mentioned rule that if you are signing a document, you should be familiar with what you're signing. The construction set of documents you should be familiar with. You're not supposed to sign a set of drawings that you've never looked at, even if it's your own firm and you know, you're the principal of it and you're just signing away without really making sure that health, safety, and warfare are taken care of. And so, yeah, I mean, you're completely right. Like liability is one of the top topics of of AI. I mean, we're always going to, I think, licensure, we have to protect it. We will have to protect that till the end because without it, then anyone can practice architecture and that's incredibly dangerous. Mm No, absolutely. And it's yeah, you're right. That's one of the things we learn about is we it's one of our like best practices of we have to make sure you looked at the plans before you sent them out and make sure that yeah, we are protecting the health, safety and welfare of the public. And that's something I think also the public doesn't know that we do. <laughs> because I mean, you know, you think about medical school and you go through all of the you know, they go through all of their training and all the internships, residencies, exams. And, you know, they are taking care of people, but they're taking care of people one at a time, maybe one surgery. You know, they're not doing surgery on 100 people, whereas we are designing something that is supposed to keep one person, 200, 300, 1,000 people in a stadium safe if there's an emergency in that design. And so 
it's we have going back going back to the valley and we're going to keep like going back and jumping around <laughs> like two form of architecture <laughs> it, it's it's true it's like these pillars of architecture of you know we hold so much value and it's it's definitely yeah the public just needs to be educated more and stuff and so i think we also we also need to stand up for not only educating, but also the value of like our, the ownership of all of our documents and mm. all of that. Because like right now, the more we use like the AI softwares and things like that, the more we're basically like testing and training these softwares. And we're doing that for free, mm-hmm. which is really what we do with like our models, our 3D models. We give them to the owners. Do we like charge them if they use them for maintenance for a building? We don't do that. And that's something that we need to start thinking of. Like what are the implications of all of these tools that we're using and all the information, data, data should be monetized. All of this data that we have, we're not monetizing that. We're giving it away for free. That is so true. You bring up a good point about, okay, once the project's done and you give those CAD drawings, Revit files, Auto ArchiCAD, whatever you're doing, you can just, it's not like old pen and paper or the blueprints where somebody has to redraw it. You can manipulate it in so many ways. And so that is also- Yeah, it can serve for an a, like incredible advantage for an organization where they can use it for smart cities. Like, I don't know, they can use it for maintenance. They can use it as a 3D model for a campus for university. They can- there's just so many uses to the things that we produce that we don't even even think of, but we should. This is the time to do all of these things. And I mean, of course, one person can do it. And I think schools need to start thinking about how they're going to update their the way they're teaching architecture because it's going to pass us <laughs> if we don't really like adjust the knowledge that we're coming out of school with. Oh, absolutely. And did you hand draft at all in school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, did. I did. I did in Panama two years and here. Yeah, my school was very much encouraging of people drafting and stuff. I still do. I, I can't design on the computer. I refuse. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> all the time. I think it's good. I mean, as architects, we collab- we uh, communicate with our pens and pencils and all that. I think we inherently like that's what we do we know how to communicate with drawings so no absolutely no for sure no I know when I if I'm designing absolutely it's the hand the paper the sketching the I like to color with a bunch of pens it helps with the thought process for sure of it and and I don't even want to go on the tangent about how we don't have pen and paper on exams anymore but Uh, yeah no (laughs) (laughs) that's another episode for another time This has been really interesting thinking about AI and the future it holds because at first it seems like scary. It seems like, you know, you're thinking of all those futuristic movies where robots are going to take over the world. But I really liked how you said about collaboration and again, coming back to that, having giving AI a seat at the table, especially when it comes to efficiency. Like I talked about it take what used to take me 30 minutes takes me five minutes. And now 
time, you know, my time, I value my time, especially since I'm the only one working in my firm. What I spend my time on and do is so important and it's all about efficiency. So I think you've really, you've advocated for AI as well. I mean, I know you advocate for so many, but you have that sense of you've advocated for something that is scary, that is daunting for the industry. People are thinking, are you going to, is it going to replace me? But going at it with the approach that you have, I think is very encouraging. Yeah. I mean, I always think about like, what if AI could do the things that I don't like to do? (laughs) If I had a firm, if AI could do all the things that I don't like to do, and I can just focus on the things that I like to do, I would be incredibly happy. (laughs) So it's a give and take. It's a balance. Tools are there to help us. And yeah. I do think that we need to still continue to use our brains because I don't know what the long-term implications are. As much as I love like chat GPT, Bing AI and all that stuff, because it's so easy. We also have to use our brains. <laughs> no, for sure. And we didn't even touch on that too, which that's something too, as I was using it, I thought, I'm so glad I went through like high school. I'm like, like when we had to write essays in school, that this mm-hmm. wasn't even a thing because- yeah. You had to think, you had to use, and it is, it's interesting to think about what is our brain power going to be if all of a sudden we're having this computer do all of our correct other stuff that isn't our favorite to do, and but yet we need to do it so that it keeps, you know, our mind going. And especially now with like life expectancy so long, and, you know, that's because people are using their brains and they're working on stuff. What happens if we kind of go back? Yeah, I would be really scared of being in academia right now as a professor, (laughs) teaching any type of class that requires writing, because that would be really hard. How can you disseminate what's written by a human and by AI? And like, it sounds almost impossible. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that personalization. So the kids got to learn how to make it sound like it sound it would sound yeah. like. <laughs> use it as a help, but no, no. If you're listening to this, don't use ChatGPT for your yeah. schoolwork. It's going to change. Maybe they will. They will not do essays anymore because I mean, we all have to adapt. Absolutely. No, nope, that's so true. And adapting to what comes next. Well, Shadia, thank you so much for coming on from the Honeycomb podcast. This has been so amazing to talk to you about AI. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you invited me on and excited to share a little bit about what I know, not being an expert, but yeah, super happy to be here. This was a great conversation. And where can listeners find you? Yeah, so everyone can find me at Shadia underscore architecture, mainly on Instagram. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. I'll provide links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. This was such a great conversation. You're going to have to come back because I know AI oh is just <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Because I know AI is just so in the future, definitely coming back with conversations about it. Thank you so much, Katarina. I appreciate it. Thanks. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb Podcast. I would love if you left a review and rated the episode. You can click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. You can also support the podcast through the patron link in the show notes. Your support makes more of From the Honeycomb Podcast episodes possible. There's also my monthly newsletter, which you can subscribe to, that comes out once a month where I share a personal message with you. Also some intellectual architecture articles, a Vastu Shastra tip of the month, and we also have a book month. So that comes out every seventh of the month. Thank you so much and see you next Friday.